Oh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Current events, local, world news, and trending. Saturday at 11.23 p.m. Thank you for joining me. and gentlemen, I know I was on here at 10 a.m. and I had no idea I was having some audio difficulties. I did a show for one full hour with no sound. Oops. How embarrassing that really is. So I hope you can come back on here and join me. And hopefully I have sound this time. This is everything is excellent. So I guess we're going to find out. So here we go. We'll just redo this show again. So one year into the COVID-19 pandemic, what have we learned here in Canada and around the world? So as you know, last March, on March the 11th, the world marked a grim milestone of this March 11th, I'm sorry, of the World Health Organization declaring a COVID pandemic outbreak worldwide, March the 11th, 2020. Let me get that straight. For many, the anniversary takes a somber tone. One full year isolated from friends, loved ones. One full year out of work. One full year of life as we know it, thrown into complete disarray. And here to date, more than 2.5 million people, including 22,276 Canadians, have died from the virus but its exact origin is still unknown. A year into the pandemic, what has Canada learned and how can these lessons be applied to the next health crisis? Hopefully there's not gonna be another health crisis. For most part, some experts agree Canada did a fairly good job at keeping the healthcare system from becoming overwhelmed as COVID-19 rampage through the country. But the federal government's pandemic response was far from perfect. Like other governments around the world, it was far from perfect. Should we have responded sooner? That's a question to be renamed as we could ask the government, should they have responded sooner? Could the World Health Organization responded sooner? Well, here we are a year later. We did a good job of preventing a Bergamo, Italy, or a New York City kind of disaster. 
We didn't have people without ventilators. We didn't have people dying in the hallways and stuff like that. So I think, well, from the perspective, the infection disease specialist said, we've done okay there. However, if the ultimate goal is to avoid any disruptions in the country's healthcare system, he said that the pandemic has been a massive, a massive stress that has consumed everyone involved almost 24-7. Massive stress. Massive, massive layoffs, financially, mentally, physically. Here in Canada, we neither count ourselves lucky that it didn't get much worse or the government knew when to pull off the side of the road when playing chicken. And investing in our public health here in Canada, in Ontario, as the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has said, there is still much more to be done before the next public health crisis hits. And we're not out of the woods just yet. After this pandemic was first declared, many were shocked to learn how underfunding of Canada's healthcare system had left the emergency stockpiles of personal protective equipment such as masks, medical gowns, depleted healthcare facilities, understaffed and underprepared. Certainly not the hole in our healthcare system here in Canada. We can see inside and see the problem. According to the most recent data from the Canadian Institute of Health Information, the federal government spent $265.5 billion, or $7,064 per person in 2018, representing only 11.5% of Canada's gross domestic product. This number may seem astronomical, but it's reflected of years of cuts that have placed Canada's among the lowest in hospital spending when compared with 37 organizations for economic cooperation and development. Countries including the United States, France and the Netherlands and the United Kingdom and Germany. We've seen nothing but cuts in our healthcare system here in Canada. Whether it was OHIP, or other parts of that industry. In January, the federal government projected it would take 5.93.5 billion to effectively manage the pandemic. How about just any time? Never mind the pandemic. This doctor from the Western University that even investing a few billion into public health is just a drop in the bucket and could be immeasurably helpful as Canada works to save to stave off a third wave in the emergence of the aggressive COVID-19 variants. This could go towards a variety of things like keeping PP in stock, hiring more frontline workers, giving Canadians better access to resources and enhancing equipment, he said, and more pay. 
would work. You'd be surprised how many doctors or nurses that we lose to the United States. I can't famine how why it is, it is that way. So we need our doctors and nurses to stay here. He says, although it sounds science fiction, it's very feasible for us to generate vaccines against pretty, pretty well any corona virus or flu virus or virus that commonly jump into the human population just by simply sampling different wildlife that exists out there and that are the potential reservoirs for the virus to jump. We can pre-prepare vaccines and then just have them in the bank. Then we can pour the vaccines out of our freezer bank and start getting it ready for distribution. Investing in public health also means investing in the data system and needed to help public health workers coordinate. But investing in our public health will keep people working. Maybe we won't have shutdowns, lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, only go out for essential things. I just find it really inexcusable that Canada over the decades, you know, not in the limelight of making vaccines. We make all kinds of medications here in Canada, but not vaccines. Doesn't matter how many frontline people you have, they can't do their job properly because their job takes eight times as long as it would if there were a system they were working in and that would be more efficient and be, be more resourced. It's pretty sad that we get an eye opener like this and a pandemic opens up that hole. Then we can see our faults here in Canada in our healthcare system. These data systems used to help hospitals in different levels of government track vaccines. COVID-19 cases and contact management are separate and independent of one another, meaning it can take longer to retrieve information. These systems were all created during the pandemic and have been subject to several changes over the course of the last year. They're leading to confusion among health workers. Investing in frontline care and disinvesting in all of the background is like investing in a keyboard and a monitor for a computer without investing in the computer itself. Yes, those are the things you interact with, but without that thing in the background that actually allows the monitor, the computer, and the keyboard to function, you just have nothing. Like I had no sound. Something wasn't functioning, was not interacting altogether. Here, and this is why I'm just going to do this show again. And uh, yeah, it happens. And revamping our long term care homes 
retirement home. Long-term care homes were hotbeds for COVID-19 cases last year, accounting for 10% of Canada's COVID-19 cases and 72% of deaths in January. The damning reports of neglect, disregard for infection prevention methods and overwhelmed workers surfaced, detailing harrowing accounts from the country's worst hit long-term care homes. A military report on five long-term care homes in Ontario released in May of last year described the level of, of care as horrible. However, just 1.7 billion of that federal government's 593.5 billion budget went towards Canada's vulnerable population, including long-term care homes. Not enough money. Not enough money. In order for these long-term home facilities to operate smoothly, you need reasonably well-rested, financially secure workforce that doesn't have to work more than one job and feels comfortable being able to take off, take, take days off, whether you're sick or whatever, and that they're being supported in doing so. Any other conjurate setting, retirement homes, homeless shelters, group homes, are all the same. All these settings, the things that they have in common is they're indoors. And people who work there are underpaid. And they're not only underpaid, but they don't have significant job security. So last year, many changes have been made to the way the long-term care home is managed in Canada. Updated infection prevention and control guidances from the Public Health Agency of Canada includes mandated medical masks for all staff and visitors at all times, face shields, and testing. One way to circumvent the issues is to the uh, continually hire more staff and expand long-term care capacity and more pay. But another would be reduce the number of people who have to be in long-term care. If we reduce the number of people in long-term care by even 10% in Ontario, that's what has like 90,000 fewer people in long-term care homes. But how are they gonna do that? That have to be another subject we have to talk about and figure out how they're gonna do that. The global supply chain reliance in the global race to vaccinate each country against the COVID-19, Canada quickly fell behind the United States, the United Kingdom, and Israel. And that was largely due to the country's reliance on the global vaccine supply chain, which was briefly thrown into chaos when Pfizer and Moderna announced vaccine shipment delays. Now, we had our own making our own vaccines here in Canada and invested that money decades ago. We'd be ahead of the game.
Every government had the opportunity to do that, and they did. On March the 5th, the federal government announced that the accelerated delivery of the Pfizer vaccine shipment to compensate for the delays that may speed up Canada's goal of having everyone who wants a vaccine by the end of September. Canada has also signed a deal with vaccine development companies, Novavax, to produce a vaccine in Montreal, the first of its kind. And it took the pandemic for them for them to do that. That's appalling. Canada obviously needs to invest more in vaccine production and, and upscaling its capacity to manufacture vaccines. But he noted uh, equipping Canada with the vaccines won't solve a global pandemic. No, but at least we'll be ahead of the game when these vaccines are needed. We're going to have to rely on somebody else. That's something that the public doesn't quite understand because we only really think about right now and how Canada is suffering from the lack of vaccine production in this country or a lack of the ability to produce vaccines. And there's no excuse for it. None whatsoever. To combat this, the World Health Organization and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, have created the, the COVID facility a global vaccine sharing initiative aimed at ensuring vaccines remain available to poorer countries. And as February 19th, the G7 countries had contributed more than $7.5 billion into that organization. And climate change still plays a role. As of the Earth's climate warms, said human beings are venturing further into new areas of agriculture and food, disrupting the wildlife. According to arts, a majority of new viruses emerging across the world have come from wildlife such as bats and mosquitoes, which can pass on infections that can be deadly to human beings. Well, SARS CoV 2, here we are. People think, well, it's because people eat bats in China, but that's not always the case. And it's not always true. People are enroaching on wildlife habitat more and more all the time. And more we enroach on these habitats, the more diseases will appear in our population. And that's a clear fact right now. The population in this world is growing. People need a place to live. People have to have a roof over the head. And we're just trampling across this planet to keep up with the demand and ruining the wildlife. Now, here in the city of London, the university of southern, southwestern Ontario 
off-campus party involving university students here in the city of London has sparked a community outbreak. 22 students have tested positive for COVID-19. The mayor of the city is really unhappy with that. The population of the city is really unhappy with that. I'm really unhappy with that. Kids are young, they're 19, away from home, want to go and party, go to other people's places and have parties. And this is what happens. Just the other day, I think it was Wednesday, has declared a community outbreak after 22 students. They were linked to a series of students' social gatherings. Health officials says 22 post-secondary students, mostly at the Western University here in the city of London, who attended at least 10 private gatherings held, have tested positive. The Western, the Western University has confirmed its students are involved. And so while most live off campus, live in residence and were immediately moved into isolation outside of the residence. The get-togethers happened between March the 2nd and March the 6th and the health unit has confirmed that the sorority and the fraternity organizations at Western were involved but did not provide further details on where the gatherings were held and how many people had may attended. And what are they going to do about that? What's the university going to do about that? The university says they have protocols in place for their students. Let's see if they can grow a pair and do something about it. The investigators are still trying to determine close contacts of those who have tested positive. So they're expecting to have reached everyone in the next 24 hours. And they'll all have to isolate, not just these 22 students, but anybody else that came in contact will have to self-isolate for 14 days. Under the watch of the healthcare professionals here in the city of London. Talk about large gatherings. St. Patty's Day is coming up. Easter's coming up. This is not the time to be getting together. This is not the time to inviting COVID-19 into your home. Having COVID-19 sit at your table or sit beside you on the sofa. The concerns about people possibly gathering for the upcoming St. Patrick's Day, like I just said, in the Easter festivities. And many people around the world celebrate Easter. And this is not the time anywhere, any place, for large gatherings. 
If people bring the large groups of loved ones together the way we traditionally do, or go celebrate St. Patrick's Day, for an example, in large groups, we will see large outbreaks of COVID-19. And if this isn't any indication of 22 students, I don't know what is. They're recommending people to have a safe, small outdoor gatherings if they must gather. Well, here we can have 25 people in our backyard. If your backyard is big enough, you can social distance. Or you can have 10 people indoors. Not at the same time, 25 out there, 20 and 10 indoors, not at the same time. It's one or the other. But able to social distance. Even 10 potentially could be a problem indoors. The vice president of the students experience at Western said, we are at a, at a critical stage in this pandemic. And following health public protocols remains as important as ever. Our community is counting on our students to remain vigilant in the fight against COVID-19. So smarten the hell up. And that goes for everybody. Not just the students. You can't pick on the students. But when this happens, you upset a whole lot of people in the community. The health unit continues to recommend limiting interactions to only those who are part of your household. So don't invite other people into your household over St. Patrick's Day, Easter, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever the case may be. And maintaining those two meters of physical distancing, limiting unnecessary trips and wearing a mask as much as possible indoors and outdoors is what we need to do. Here in Ontario, here in the city of London, where I reside, with these vaccines rolling out, they have now come to a conclusion that people who have gotten their first shot now have to wait four months for their second shot. They're trying to get as many needles in the arms as possible. We don't need community outbreaks. We don't need to go back to lockdown stay-at-home orders. Twice is enough. Three times. Now we might have just close up shop, go home, and, and the economy goes back worse than the Great Depression. Is that something that you want to see? I don't. We can keep it up. We follow the rules, get vaccinated, and hopefully we don't have to go back into more lockdowns.
We're all sick and tired of that. We're all stressed. Mentally, physically, financially hurting. Even people going back to work are going back to work full time, especially in the hospitality. Whether it's a restaurant, bar, whatever the case may be. Thank you for joining me. You know, I was on here earlier at 10 o'clock and I did an hour episode. And thought everything was great. And then when the show was over, I put it out there, but I also played back my own show to see how it sounds. There was no sound. Whoops. Why there was no sound, I have no idea. I mean, when I'm looking at my laptop, everything was functioning fine. I'm looking at my monitor to my left here. You know, the, the, the signal is strong, it says excellent. And yet there was no sound. So, thank you for joining me. So it's out here talking about, you know, uh, March the 11th marked the, the one year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring a world pandemic. And what has Canada learned about this pandemic in our in our own healthcare system? And how we could see the problem that we are having. It opened up the hole so we can see our healthcare system in disarray. Governments from decades and years gone by, always looking at cutting healthcare here in Canada. We don't have the greatest healthcare here in Canada like people may even think that we do. Doctors and nurses have over the years have gone astray and gone to work in the United States. And it's still happening today. Why can't we employ people in the health care, in our hospitals, and so on, that they have to leave this country to work someplace else? Because of this hack and slash the crap out of our healthcare system here in Canada. And it needs to stop. We need more people working in our healthcare system, not just in hospitals, retirement homes, nursing homes. Being able to keep people in their homes so they don't have to go to these facilities 
hiring more PSW, personal support work. Our healthcare system here in Canada is far from perfect. It was a disaster in the nursing homes during this pandemic. A 72% rate in deaths in these nursing homes across this country. During this pandemic, unacceptable. And then talking about people still gathering in large groups. Just the other day, we have a community outbreak here in the city of London where I reside. 22 students from the university test positive for COVID-19. Off-campus partying, sororities, wherever the case may be, other residents. I don't know how more the message has to be loud and clear to people. Not just students. But everybody, you're going to have a big party at your house. You are going to invite COVID-19 into your home. You may be sharing a drink with COVID-19. You may be sitting on the sofa beside COVID-19. You may be standing beside somebody with COVID-19 when you have these large indoor gatherings. And with St. Patrick's Day coming up, if you celebrate St. Patty's Day, you don't have to be Irish, people just do. Easter coming up, Easter is celebrated all over the world. We know what that's like. Not gonna have those big gatherings. You know, like in, in, in uh, Italy there, you know, with the Pope, the Vatican, you see millions and millions and millions of people go to see the Pope. You're not going to see that. We shouldn't see that, better not see that. One of the hardest hit countries in the world was Italy. And yet, for some, they don't seem to get the message. They don't seem to get the message that you cannot have these big gatherings. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Actually, you know, this is just, you know, this is a repeat of my show a little over an hour ago because somehow unknown to me that for some reason I didn't have any sound. 
And when I'm looking at my laptop and I'm looking at my monitor and everything is excellent, it should be working. I had guests on my show, like who are here now. No one didn't send in a message to say, hey, I can't hear you. I'm thinking everything is cool. I finish the show and I do the the edit and I put it out there and I play back my own show because I want to hear how it sounds. And there was no sound. So here I am. Thank you for the like. So, yeah. You know, because I like, you know, during the week, it's tough for me to come out here, uh, you know, in the evenings and stuff like that, because, you know, I work 12, 14 hours a day driving truck locally and it's tough. You know, I just want to come home, shower, eat something, relax and, you know, and then do it all over again. So I look forward to coming out here on the weekends. 10 o'clock in the morning, Saturday in the morning, do a show, you know, Sunday morning, Monday morning, and, you know, get out there, do the best I can. <laughs> and then just, you know, I got, no, I got no sound. You know, so I thought, you know, that, you know, that's just unacceptable. You know, I'm just going to just delete that episode. And I'll just start a whole new one. So here we are. So I've been talking about, you know, how Canada and, and what Canada has learned over the year, because March the 11th um, just passed, marked one year anniversary of this pandemic. And how our healthcare system here in Canada, you know, when this pandemic broke out and then we started to see all the holes in the healthcare system and how it failed people who live in in, in um in the um old age homes i don't like to call them old age homes because you know these people you know they're young at heart and they deserve better care and they didn't get the care they deserved during this pandemic. And, and other things about Canada too, you know, we had opportunity after opportunity over decades past that we could be making our own vaccines here in Canada. No government steps up to do that. We have pharmaceuticals here in Canada. We make a lot of prescription drugs here in Canada, but not vaccine. And now it takes a pandemic to open the eyes of the government and say, hey, we need to make vaccines here in Canada. Because look at what happened with Pfizer and Moderna. They had an upgrade upgrade facilities in Europe. Canada's vaccine campaign just about dropped off the face of the planet. 
Now, we're expecting, starting the 17th of this month, we will be seeing a million doses a week from Pfizer. Now, also here across Canada, not all provinces, but one particular, the province that I live in of Ontario. Now that people who are getting their first vaccines, very first vaccine shot, will all have to wait four months to get the second shot. But the most vulnerable people in our, in our healthcare system who live in retirement homes, and so on will get their second shot as as scheduled so the people they're going to be getting that but anybody else after that will going to have to wait 12 weeks for their second shot they want to get as many people vaccinated as possible We don't want to go back into lockdown again. We don't want a third wave. From the beginning of this pandemic up to a year later, we have all hurt enough, physically, mentally, financially, Losing loved ones. And from time to time again, some people just don't get it. Gotta have these big gatherings, gotta have these parties. As though nothing is happening in this world. And then you have these outbreaks. And the government can put on the emergency breaks when they think it's necessary. Here in Canada, here in Ontario, we have what you call a color-coded reopening. Now you can research that, research the Ontario Government's Reopening Act. And it will tell you about all these different colors from the green, the yellow, orange, red, and gray of what they mean. As businesses are reopening here in Ontario and across, and, and, and across the country. And we want to keep that going. But we cannot have these community openings. Not by accident. By stupidity and ignorance. It cannot be tolerated. 
the University of Western Ontario here in the city of London? Oh, they say we have code of conduct, we have things in place so students won't do these sort of things, whether on campus or off campus. But what are they going to do about it? Are they going to expel them from the from the from the university because they can't behave themselves? Why should everybody else suffer because of that sort of behavior? We should not. Here in the city of London, we have endured the, the, the Western students, Fanshawe College students over the years of their disregard for public respect community respect, not all of them, and have large parties and trash everything. We put up with it long enough. Thank you for joining me. But right now, you know, spring is not too far away. Was it seven days? Nicer weather's gonna start coming. People wanna be able to get outdoors more. You know, we still, you know, we're not gonna have, we still can't have those big barbecue, backyard barbecues that we always have, has always have had. You know, right now, I can tell you here in the city of London, here in Ontario, not all parts of it, because different regions are in different color color codes. But here in the city of London, we're in the orange, which allows to have 25 people in your backyard. Plus it's big enough, you can still social distance. Or you can have 10 people indoors. Now, you can't have both that we can't do. But even indoors at 10 people, you, you bring, you're inviting others from outside of the family unit, unit indoors, you could be potentially have a problem. That's why they're saying, really, you know, just keep it to immediate family for indoors. Outdoors, if you have the space, you can have up to 25 guests. You know, hopefully your, your backyard is big enough to, to hold that. You know, bars and restaurants can have 50 people indoors right now. The gyms are back open. The movie theaters are all back open. All small businesses are all back, back open. And we want to keep it going like that. So we can't be having these community outbreaks when they knew better in the first place. Not like they're 
not like they're new. Oh, we didn't know there was a pandemic going on, so we decided to have a party. That's just plain ignorance and plain stupidity. So this is what you get when you have these places outside or off campus, you know, the sorority or the fraternity organizations. And the university knows for a fact that's where these outbreaks occurred from, is from these sororities or these fraternities. Now, we've had uh, people who live on campus, living in residence. A few of them also had contracted COVID-19. Inviting each other into their dorm and not social distancing in the hallways and not wearing the mask inside. I mean, if you want to get COVID, I mean, that's entirely up to you. If you want to affect others, that's entirely up to you. Um, I, you know, I'm not even going to get into that conversation with you because that is not even the case. So I don't even know how you can even come up with that idea and stuff like that when people were when people were dying uh, in, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s, all the way up to their 80s. No underlying health conditions and obesity had nothing to do with it. So I'm just not going to agree with that one little bit. And there's nothing you could say to me that would change my mind. Absolutely nothing. I appreciate your 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 uh, your uh, what do you call it? Your opinion, but that is just not the facts. It just simply is not. So, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for joining me for the second time this morning, because the first time, well, that was just a disaster with no sound. So hopefully, and um, <laughs> this is, this show is it's done. There'll be sound, I know there'll be sound. So anyways, thank you for joining me um, this late morning. And um, I will be back out um, tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock uh, in the morning. And I just wanted to touch base again. Last, uh, last Sunday, 
um, I, I did an episode on mental health, mental illness, and um, I found some more articles, uh, mental health, mental illness in the trucking industry. And uh, so you can join me um, for that and, and then whatever else uh, um, I talk about or we talk about. I hope you can join me for that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care and thank you.